Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Talking Terror. Uh, This is not our usual gig. Usually we broadcast at 9 o'clock on Wednesday nights, but the ghoul is with me for this very special episode because we just have to talk about Joker, the recently released Todd Phillips film starring Joaquin Phoenix as our clown prince. Uh, We talked about it the other day, just in kind of casual conversation, but we decided to say, you know what, we have a fucking podcast. Let's just set a two-hour limit, and let's just dig into this. So I want to say beforehand, at the start, if you're tuning in to listen to our discussion on Joker, be warned, there's going to be a lot of spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie yet, stop the podcast. We're going to miss you. But just come back when you've seen it, and then you can listen to what we have to say and agree or disagree or anything in between. Uh, But first and foremost, like I said, I'm joined by the ghoul Geek Keith himself. Hello, sir. The worst part about having a mental illness is people expect you to behave as if you don't. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very interesting episode of, uh, of Talking Terror tonight, which is also being run, to be perfectly honest with all of you, as a bit of a test episode because of the issues we had last week on Wednesday and Thursday both, trying to run our episode on uh, The Endless, which... Since we'll never get that review done, you can just find out right now real quick. We all endlessly did not like that movie pretty much, I think, uh, except for you, King. Were you the one that liked the movie? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no. Uh, Monkey actually really enjoyed it. He had fun with it. So he's the only one. So, well, I do sense. know that indeed. The, the, the doctor disliked it, and uh, I didn't dislike it. I just found that it uh, high-concept I don't want to say poor execution. I just think they didn't have enough talent to execute what that film could actually be. Yeah, and you know, with me, I thought going into it that it was going to be a tragedy. But actually, it was a fucking comedy. <laughs> yeah, it was something all right. <laughs> it took me a second. I was like, "Wait, what the hell is he?" Oh yeah, man, the other. Um, yes, yeah, so I even got to watch the pre- I even got to watch the prequel movie too, which uh, surrounds itself with the two guys in the cabin. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, the one where the guy is, you know, telling them all about like his drug drug addict buddy and all that stuff. Yeah, that whole movie mm-hmm. takes place during that period of time in which they're doing all that, even though that gets weird on its own, too. I don't that know, was just the movie? Again. Just those two? Yes, yes. Resonance, oh. uh, I think it was, the Resonance, or whatever. Resolution. I exactly what, I don't know. The Resolution, yes, that's what it was. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was the guy showing up there. Um, mm-hmm. In The Endless, his wife is the one that the main character talks to, who says her husband came up here to go find his buddy and help him or something. Right. 
if she can't mm-hmm. find his husband, well, that's her husband going there to go help his buddy get off the drugs and clean himself out for a week. You know, not willingly, he handcuffs him to like a radiator. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. There's like meth dealers and and all kinds of other weird stuff that go on in that too. Huh. Well, mm-hmm. I missed that one. I saw the analyst, and I thought that was enough. I thought uh, I'm good. Uh, it is what it is. But maybe it was yeah. a sign from the movie gods that that movie just wasn't meant to be talked about for an episode. Indeed, indeed. You know, that's that's where I'm going to go with that, too. But, you know, again, Joker, obviously a film well worth talking about. I uh, have seen the movie twice now. Um, mm-hmm. I watched it on Thursday when it released. I had my tickets for the 4 o'clock showing, which got all kinds of hectic because I wasn't sure if I was going to make it with work. So I canceled my 4 o'clock ticket, moved it to a 5.15, and then my job kind of, I don't know, like the, 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 the gods – shined their light on me and my, my job got finished faster than I initially thought so then I canceled my 515 and moved it back to 4 o'clock but then you want to talk about real weird which of course got me bugging out Final Destination style <laughs> I go and I get my normal order of pretzels with cheese mm-hmm. and a water you know and I think I got right. uh, for Joker I got two two orders of pretzels with cheese Mm-hmm. And my change that comes back is five fifteen. Mm-hmm. Like okay, whatever. I would never think of it. I wouldn't even connect it to the fact that the the time that I had originally moved the movie to was five fifteen. Except that not only was my change that came back five fifteen, my order number was also five fifteen. Wow. So, of course, now in my head, I'm thinking, okay, is this telling me that I should have stayed in the 515 and something's going to go wrong at 4? Or is it saying that something's going to go wrong at the 515 and it's a good thing that, I, that I'm going to be in at the 4, but then I'm going to be in at 4, which means I'm still going to be in the theater at 515 in case something happens at that one. So, you know, at which point I was like, all right, you know what, I'm just going to roll with it and go see this at 4. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's good that you did. Maybe that 515 was an omen. Maybe the film broke or something like that. You wouldn't be able to see it at five fifteen. We saw it at four. It was good. Still got in there. Yeah, well, you know, you of course got the news and everybody also, you know, warning people about the violence of this. We had that kid in Colorado who, you know, mm-hmm. years ago during the Dark Knight Rises release, you know, shot up the movie theater. Um, you know, so of course all, all the theaters they have posters and signs, you know, on the door stating that, you know, that we have extra security and, you know, just to, to just to keep your eyes open and, and be safe, know where your exits are and all that fun stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I, I get it. It sucks. It's the world that we live in. And, you know, for me, somebody that loves movies the way that I do, it kind of is it's just it's such a shitty feeling to think of like that safe haven that I think of as a movie theater to become something as horrific as that. Well, of course, it's our safe haven. That's our mecca. That's where we go to find escape from the horrors of the real world. So to think that they could actually be brought into a theater is horrifying. But the way I see it, you know, I'm going to go see that movie, and if something happens, it happens. I don't necessarily blame the content of the movie. I just blame the person. If they're twisted enough to do something like that, like in Aurora, Colorado, that tragedy that happened, it wasn't because of Dark Knight Rises. This guy just was insane and just wanted to inflict violence. That's all it was. It wasn't the movie. That did it. It's his own mind. Oh, no. Which luckily I haven't heard hey, anything listen. about this movie. 
You know, I, I agree with that completely. You know, I'm a believer in, you know, if somebody wants to execute violence, they're going to figure out a way to do it. You know, yeah. using a movie, you know, using a, a, a religion, using any of that stuff, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse for unleashing whatever it is that it is that, it is that you need to get out of you at that point. Yeah, completely agree. You know, but it, it's just like you said, it's an easy way to blame something. Because people need to have a scapegoat. So blame the movie, blame the video games, blame the music. It's just a lot easier than just looking at the state of affairs of where we are and this person and what could have been done to prevent what happened. Same thing with Joker. Great parallel into this movie. I think also, though, what we got to realize is that, you know what, there's never going to be any amount of perfect prediction to where nope. it's 100% that we can prevent something like this from happening. You know, can we get to a point where we can almost eliminate it to like a 99 percentile? Yeah, probably. But, you know, these kind of things are always going to happen. There's always going to be people that you know, are going to have mental instabilities. There's always going to be people disillusioned with society. There's always going to be people that just don't like the state of affairs that are going on at any given point and are going to look to lash out in a violent way. Yeah, that's true. There is no good predictor, but you think there could be better uh, state points put in place? You know, so maybe some of these things could be prevented, but nothing's perfect. You know, there's no amount of medication or therapy that might help somebody that just is lost and can't find their way back, and the only way they could think of is in violence. And look, they could put metal detectors everywhere. They can do this. They can do that. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Something still can always be slipped through in some way. So, I mean, the best that we can do, again, is as, as human beings, try to be the best humans that we can be to one another and remain vigilant and not try to point the fingers at each other when things like this go wrong. Completely agree. Uh, but with Joker, because uh, we're going to get into it, obviously, like I said, spoilers ahead. But what were your initial thoughts as credits rolled on the movie about what you thought about Joker? All right. So like I said, I, I've seen this movie twice now. Today was the second time. Uh, I went to go see it in IMAX today. Uh, I saw it in regular digital screening the first time around. Uh, big, giant screen. I wanted to see it IMAX with laser. You know, I guess it's just like a 4K version projection something yeah. really mm -hmm. pretty uh i don't know i haven't seen something in that yet but this was just a standard imax and um all right so my first time watching it you know obviously i'm sitting there and i'm trying to absorb every little thing hoping i'm not missing anything but losing myself completely in the film uh when the movie was over it was one of the uh, <laughs> You know, again, we like to joke. I've I've seen a lot of movies this year, um, yeah. but not only have I seen a lot of movies this year, I've also seen a lot of movies over the last couple of months. But in in the year as a whole, I have seen a lot of films, and this is one of the few films that actually got a round of applause when the movie ended. You know, something that I remember happening regularly when I was younger. Um, but now something that I just find doesn't happen as often as it used to. You know, the only other movie that I remember that really happening with this year was Endgame. Um, mm -hmm, and yeah. that was obviously you know, the, the first of the six times that I saw it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so for that, you know, I, I, I could feel the audience was completely enthralled with what we were watching. 
Um, I myself was just mesmerized by by what was happening in front of me on the screen. I uh, yeah, I, I walked away very happy with what I saw in this movie. How about you? Uh, yeah, and it was a similar experience for me. Not as many people clapped uh, as you had told me about in your theater. I mean, people were clapping, but I stood up and clapped. Like I was just so impressed uh, by the presentation of this movie because I think as we get into it, I've always wanted this type of Joker movie. You know, I appreciate Nicholson and 89's Batman for just being cartoonish and over the top and very fun. <clears throat> uh, Cesar Romero in the 60s Joker series, a lot of fun. Heath Ledger, I think, is the top when it comes to Joker. Um, but this one, I think it was the most visceral and the most close to what I want the character to be, which is completely, in a sense, psychotic. You know, where the violence presented in the film is just that. It's violence. It's not done over the top. It's not done with a lot of clown gags. It's just a pistol and just somebody behind that trigger that's very angry at the state of affairs. Yeah. Uh, Again, I can't disagree. So, yeah, as far as uh, Joker, why don't we, uh, first and foremost, why don't we kind of go a little bit of what our normal format is here? Why don't you hit us with a quick synopsis? And then okay. we'll dive into into everything with this. Okay, I'll do my best to try to, because I did take a couple notes that I wanted to write about as far as the synopsis goes. Uh, but <clears throat> we're presented in this movie with Arthur Fleck, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is a kind of wannabe stand-up comic that worships at the feet of Murray Franklin, played by Robert De Niro, who's a late-night host. Fleck was at home with his ailing mother, and he works at a place called Ha Ha, where he's kind of a clown for hire. Uh, where he goes to children's hospitals and he swings around signs and kind of just petty jobs just to make some money so he could support himself and his mother, all the while trying to write down jokes. But as we find out about Arthur, he also has a lot of mental issues, including a laugh that he can't control. So he carries around a card with him to basically explain, I have this uncontrollable laughter, I'm sorry, and this is why I do what I do, it's nothing about you, that type of thing. But eventually it devolves for Arthur as things start taking place in his life, as his mental health uh, basically degenerates. Uh, funding is cut at Arkham, so he no longer has the medication that he needs. And over a series of events, it leads to him basically becoming a zero into a clown hero in a lot of ways for people in Gotham that are disenfranchised by the upper crust, by the Waynes, by the Wall Street types. They look at him as the, you know, kind of like the coming of Christ in a lot of ways. Like, this is the guy we've been waiting for to lead this charge uh, into chaos, into breaking and burning down this city that uh, kind of shuns us for being who we are, which is the lower class, for being clowns, for being the poor. That's essentially what it is, because I don't want to get into too much of the details just as of yet. Uh, But that's Mm -hmm. essentially what Joker is. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you, I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's a film that I think starkly and honestly approaches mental illness in a way that is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, I think it's a film about a hmm, a guy that we're not always entirely sure what we're seeing is what's actually happening. Um, the, mm-hmm. uh, the definition of the, you know, the, 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 
the 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 untrustworthy narrator, um, so to say. Yes. Yep. So so yeah, the, the, there's that and and all that more that occurs in this film. And I mean, again, for starters, what did you think of Joaquin's performance? Uh that's a hard one. That's a great question, but a hard one. Because as you know, I've told you, and I think you agree, that Keith Ledger is kind of like, as far as Joker performances go, I think the pinnacle. I think, like, that's the one. I mean, as much as I appreciate Nicholson, I don't like Leto, so I don't even consider him, but I think Ledger is the top. But Joaquin does his own thing, which I think makes him my favorite Joker as of right now. Because of how he handled the character, he isn't trying to copy too much of the predecessors before him. I love the laugh. It almost made me kind of hurt my own throat, thinking about how much he had to laugh in this movie over and over and over again until he's choking and having to grab at his throat because it hurts. And just mm-hmm. going from this guy who is very lonely and just, like you had said about the unreliable narrator, you know, you don't really know exactly what to trust as far as truth goes. It's kind of like him living in his own fantasy world, like with Murray Franklin when he has the fantasy on the TV show where Murray tells mm-hmm. him, you know, I'd give up everything, all the fame, all the fans, if I could just have a son like you. That's all he wants. He wants recognition. He wants to be loved. He wants to be accepted. And he's not getting that. And once he realizes he can get his way with a gun, then he's, he's his own hero in his own mind. What and that's the, key, that's the key word, in his own mind. Um, yeah. I think yeah. Hakeem's performance was absolutely, it was a, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, again, for starters, I'm, I'm always going to skew towards Ledger. I just, re- and it's not because, you know, oh, he passed away and all this and that. I love Ledger's mannerisms. I love everything about that particular Joker. The Chaos Joker is what I call him. You know, like each Joker Mm -hmm. seems to have their own specific little trait. And, you know, Ledger's performance was just, you know, the agent of chaos. He is, you know, like he says, he's a wild dog chasing after the bus. He wouldn't know what to do with it if he actually got it because it it doesn't matter. It's just the idea of doing it is, is what he wants. Um, like, uh, I was watching Dark Knight last night, and, mm-hmm. of course, you know, this is one of those where I put it on, and I'm like, all right, you know, it was, it, it was for sale on Xbox. It was only, like, eight hours left. It was for $10, you know, and I'm like, dude, it's one of my favorite movies. I have it on Blu-ray, but as I said so many times, it's like, you know what? <laughs> Why do I want to get up and go put the Blu-ray in the machine right. when I can just <laughs> hit a couple of buttons and boom, have it right there, right there ready to go? Um of course, did I fall asleep to it? No. No, I stayed up the entire no. time. Yeah. You know, yeah. well past midnight because, you know, <laughs> watching this performance is just fantastic. You know, everything yeah. about him just makes you skittish. You know, you look at the, the – even the ghoul girl who's never watched The Dark Knight. She's never seen the film, and she loves Ledger. Like, mm-hmm. when she finally, like, saw him, she had even said, she goes, it doesn't even look like him. No. You know, it didn't sound no, like him. Job. Like his his body language, everything about him just really was just transformed. And you see, when they say somebody who went method, I mean, you see it right there. He really turned himself into what this character was for that movie. Um, 
I love the the the, the ever changing origin. You know, you don't know again. The Joker is freaking the master of fucking chaos. You know, you don't know where mm-hmm. he came from or what he did. You never can rely on what he's going to tell you. Um, so winding that all back to Joaquin, which is the question, I felt, and like I said to you last night, I feel like, yes, he did his own thing. Obviously, he had to make something that was more realistic and something mm-hmm. that's making him the showcase instead of him being the star in somebody else's movie. You know, like you, when you say like, okay, like Nicholson did his thing, you know, Heath Ledger did his thing. You got to remember, they were all in Batman movies though. You know, whereas this is finally the Joker getting his due. This is, you know, Joaquin having to take this entire character from start to finish of this film and really carry it the whole way. Um, so I felt... Like what he did was take a little bit of Caesar Romero, and I love that. Yeah, really, who was very jovial. Obviously, Batman '66 was comical. It was meant to be funny, but he took that character and really made him serious, and mm-hmm. then just added yep. like a sprinkle of Ledger. And then the rest of it was just all Joaquin. Like, there was never any point watching this that I felt like he took anything from Nicholson at most. No. Maybe a little bit of the dancing. But even that, like, watching it the second wow, time today, so I was like, you know what? No, not really. Um, no. And definitely no Leto. You know, but again, Leto's still fresh. And I, I know a lot of people hate I know a lot of people hate on it. I just don't feel like we've ever seen enough of his portrayal of the character. To Agreed, ever really yeah. know what he wanted to do with it. You know, we only got little snips and pieces. You know, we see a little bit here, a little bit there. And, you know, he was always just a little bit of a part of a much bigger movie that had nothing to do with him. He was never the star. Right. And that's, uh, I also wanted to resent what you just said, the dancing that Joaquin does as Arthur and as Joker. It was fucking brilliant to me. To see him do these things, like when he's in his apartment after he gets the gun, and he very much looking like Christian Bale, the machinist, very thin and emaciated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just he's doing that dance, and he's like, "Hey, what's your name? He's, I'm Arthur." Well, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets too into it, and then he falls, and the gun goes off. And he's like, "Okay." Uh, turns up the volume on the TV. I'm watching a war movie, Ma. Watching a war movie. Turn it down. Like, I was cracking up. Like, you know, nobody else was laughing, but I was. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, again, both times, like I said, you know, last night with just us texting back and forth with it, I mm-hmm. uh, I really think all these movies, all these horror films, okay, not to say, like, we've been desensitized to violence, which I'm sure we have been to some degree. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I also think that we find things funny that the average common person doesn't, or maybe they just don't. I don't know. I felt like it was being played to be somewhat comical. There's very few light moments in this movie, but Mm -hmm. they're there. You know, I feel like if the director wanted to make something that was just completely, like, just bleak and, and with no fun, then you wouldn't have little things like this. 
You know, so so mm-hmm. him doing that, I mean, it was like something straight out of like like little. Th- it made me think of um John C. Riley's character from Boogie Nights. You know, like it just seemed like something <laughs> he would do. You know, like, yeah. like it was just it was bizarre because yeah, like you said, he's all emaciated, and then like like I said, he's flirting with himself. Where he's just like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, like oh, you look pretty cool. You're a great dancer. Like, like, Thanks. I know, yeah. I know. Thanks. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the way he's talking to himself too, just kind of that flirty way. <laughs> hey, you know, like he's just having it, fun with it. You know, it was great. It was interesting, like in like you bring that up, how he was talking to himself, how he was talking in general. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, there's been. Uh, like evaluations, thought processes, fan fiction, I'm sure, is out the fucking ass with it. Um, but there's always been the idea that, you know, the Joker has sexual feelings towards Batman. And I oh, kind yeah. of feel right. like a little bit, like, yes, you know, obviously we see through his, his fantasies that Arthur here is, is heterosexual. But at the same time, mm. there's a femininity about him at times. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. that, I feel, is all Joaquin, you know, because yeah. I've seen him do this in other roles and other movies. But, you know, and it's funny, I'm going to say this, and everybody, anybody listening is going to be like, mm, what the fuck's he talking about? Go check out Parenthood <laughs> if you want to see what I'm talking about with this. And that's yeah. a, you're talking mm-hmm. a long time ago. But, you know. And that's an old movie. He's a very pretty young man. And, you know, now mm-hmm. obviously he's older and he's grizzled in this film, but there's still those certain qualities about him that are still pretty in an almost, again, an almost feminine way. And I think they accentuate them in the movie for the purpose of him being kind of like, I'm out there and I'm fucking mentally out of my mind. You know, like, again, another character that I think of that it represents this. I just saw it on the fucking drive-in. You know, Z-Man, Ronnie Barzell from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. Again, an androgynous, almost feminine type of mental case, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and getting into that whole weird androgynous femininity towards his interview on Murray Franklin's show, he gets into that. A lot of the affectation mm-hmm. and when he's talking, very much so, like you were just said. And I want to talk about that when we get there. Um, but the one, that, one of the things I want to talk about, because we talked about him being an unreliable narrator, and we'll get into some of the things that's unreliable where we find out that's not true. Uh, but one of the things I want to talk about was the sign uh, that he's spinning in the beginning of the movie where he's dancing and it's uh, sales, uh, you know, going on. And the gang takes the sign, runs into an alley with it, beats him over the head with it, and then just beats the shit out of him and runs away. Later we find out from his boss, like, the guy said that you walked away and you left and he wants to know where his sign is. And he's like, well, they took my sign. He goes, well, why the fuck would they take your sign? And that's where I kind of question his truth. Like, did that actually happen, or did he just decide, I don't want to do this anymore, and walk away? Because why would they just decide to break his sign and just take nothing from him? No money, no nothing, just break that sign, beat him up, and walk away. So, again, these are those things that I think the movie leaves open-ended for a reason. That this way, when the credits roll, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, well, I know that certain things were shown to me in a way that tells me that they weren't real. But then you can really sit there and look at the movie as a whole and wonder what wasn't real. You know, now on the one end, I would say, yes, the sign, the beating, all of that happened. 
because we okay. see him working on his shoe, and you see all the bruising oh, on his right. back. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, too, after the conversation with the boss, when he's telling him about taking the sign and all of that stuff, you see him raging out in an alley, like kicking garbage bags or something. You don't know what he's kicking, but like he's right. like he's he's going very aggressive and very angry. He's like throwing himself down on the almost like dropping oh, yeah. an elbow. Yeah. Like he's Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's doing. Like I was waiting <laughs> yeah. for him to just like pop up and be like, "Whoa," you know, and then face plant. Um, but so you could even question like maybe he had one of these mental breakdowns, and that's how he bruised himself. You know, I almost even wondered in a way if that scene that we saw of him kicking the bags and then dropping down on the bag like that because it intercut from the boss talking to him right to that. Yes. Was that a flashback of what really Mm. happened with the sign? (laughs) So, again, it's so weird. There's so many things that go on with this. Like, I figured seeing this the second time today, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've got this all figured (laughs) out now. No, no. You know, and it's it's not something I'm going to go see in the theater again. I don't feel like I need to see it a yeah. third time. I don't yeah. feel like I gained all that much from it, seeing it a second time around, other than just the pure viewing pleasure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I really like to, to mention is the, the Gotham as a city as a whole. I loved it. I love the fact that it took place in 1981. This is like in real world times, this would be New York City pre-Giuliani cleanup. But you can tell this mm-hmm. is just a city on the brink. Like, this is a city on the brink of just one thing happening for it to collapse. And that's essentially what the movie really is. It's just kind of uh, the boilerplate that it takes to burn the city to the ground. Yeah. Well, and again, if you uh, – <laughs> and I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to do this the whole entire, the whole entire <laughs> time we're talking about it, man. You can take the city as a whole and represent this as Arthur's mentality, you know. And if we're looking at this city through Arthur's eyes, that's how it's going to look. It's going to look like this is a city on the brink of despair. This is going to look like it's a city that, you know, is ready to just come crumbling down and everybody is so mean to everybody and nobody is, you know, is happy for anybody anymore and everybody just wants and wants and wants. Now, all that being said, this is Gotham, you know, and yes, this is Gotham Mm -hmm. as represented in New York, in New York for a change. You know, I don't know. We saw this in the Dark Knight movies. You know, it was Chicago. Um, yeah. Yep. The Burton and Schumacher movies. It was his own little fantastical world of Gotham City. This is again mm-hmm. similar to the Nolan films. They took a real city and said, "Hey, this is what Gotham City is. It is New York." Um, but being Gotham, I always picture Gotham more. And again, you know what? I'm sure that the, the I'm sure the Nolan films had a big play on it. But at the same time, mm-hmm. too, I think whenever I think of Gotham, I think more Chicago than I think New York, because I think of Metropolis, and, you know, I don't see them, obviously, as the Batman versus Superman movies, where they're across a river from one another. I saw them always as <laughs> yeah, having yeah. a great distance between them, and being mm-hmm. that New York would be, you know, you know, the city in New York, you know, would be... Metropolis would be New York, you know, the big skyscrapers, right. all that. Where else on the East Coast do you have a city like that? 
you know, hell, the name of the freaking newspaper is the Daily Planet, the Daily News, you know, so, which for all I know, again, and I'm no history buff. I don't know how long the Daily News has been a newspaper. The Daily Planet may have been formed in the comic books before the Daily News was ever a newspaper. I don't know, people. I'm not that kind of no. smart. Google it if you need to find out. <laughs> you know I mean? There you go. I don't know. We're not Wikipedia, that. just like every other American does these days. That's how we get our information, <laughs> real or not. Just user mm-hmm. edits, man. It's fantastic. And yes, I've always Uh, pictured Gotham as kind of like Chicago-based, or maybe even like Boston, you know, like just a a city a little bit more up north, smaller than Metropolis. Yeah, definitely a good call in Boston, especially with the harbor and everything like that. It could be easily a standard for Boston. Um, But yeah, Arthur, he gets a gun from Randall, who's a co-worker at the Ha Ha place, um, and he carries it around with him, like we talked about the dance. What I really liked was when he goes to the children's hospital, and, you know, he's playing this really fun song, and he's stomping his feet, he's dancing, singing along to the record. And then he stomps his foot, and the gun falls out, and I start cracking up. And nobody else around me cracks up. They're all like, whoa, yeah. that's fucked up. He brought the gun. And I'm like, what? Is this fucked up? He's dropping it. He's ah! <laughs> like, run for it. And then he just goes, shh. I... <laughs> yeah, well, and, and the one little kid is great. The one little kid, like, is laughing about it and pointing, <laughs> yeah. pointing his fingers at him or her fingers at him like a gun, you know. So, and Arthur's kind of, like, giggling at it. But, yes, but that does also skip the first of the true fantasy sequences that we see. Um, okay, Arthur's why are you going watching, Well, Arthur's watching the Murray, what's his last name? I forget. Franklin. Uh, the Murray Franklin show with his mother, and uh, as they sit down to start watching, you know, Murray's going through his skit and whatnot, and all of a sudden we go from them having been there watching it to Arthur being in the audience. Now, it's mm-hmm. not done in any kind of, like, fantastical shine. You don't no. see any kind of hazing around the corners. They, they make nice it cut. look like this could have... That this could have been happening, you know what I mean? Not at that yeah. moment. Maybe this was a flashback. You know, there's no, there's any number of things that it could have been, you know. But what happens is, is you have, you know, Arthur getting involved in the show. You know, after yelling out, you know, I love you, Murray. And, you know, Murray being <laughs> like, too. who said that? And, and you know, <laughs> Arthur goes through his whole entire, like, I take care of my mother. And the audience laughs, but then Murray seems to be very sympathetic to it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, it's the first of the projected father figures that we yes. see for yes. this character. Um, you know, and yeah, you know, and ultimately, what happens at the scene is that you know Murray invites Arthur down. They all say they're 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 cut to commercial, and then you have a very private moment between Arthur and Murray, in which Murray tells him that you know, like, look, you know, I would give all this up just to have somebody like you, and then boom, it cuts. And you just see Penny and Arthur are just still sitting there watching, you know, the television. Um, so, again, the first sign that, you know, we see that Arthur has what get termed as delusions. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody uh, Being somebody that has a, uh, a child who kind of falls on these spectrums and has similar issues like this. You know, the, the these kind of delusions, there's a difference between having, like, fantasies like this where you, you know, I mean, listen, the reality is, look, everybody is fantasized about stuff like this. Everybody's fantasized yeah. about being the quarterback that, you know, wins the big game or, oh, yeah. you know, you hit that grand slam that fucking wins the baseball game or, you know, you go to a party and – 
you know, you turn out to be, you know, can't hardly wait style, life of the party with a karaoke thing, and, you know, everybody loves you, and you're the one that everybody's talking about for the whole night. Regular fantasies versus somebody who is mentally ill having delusions like this, the problem is, is that for them, the line begins to blur as far as what is and isn't real. And as, you know, it's hard for us as people that aren't mentally ill to really comprehend that because we don't, we understand the difference, you know, and we see the difference. It's not like a mentally ill person is looking at it saying, oh, hey, I'm having a delusion right now. So, you know, I know that this is fake, but I really feel like it's real. No, to them, they don't feel that line they don't feel that differentiate right there you know so so for him all of this is going on it's as real in his head as what it is that he's witnessing right and and with his mother too constantly talking about thomas wayne and about thomas wayne Mm. a good man did you check the mail today i'm waiting for a letter from him and arthur just constantly asking her what is it about this letter that you're waiting on she's like because he can help us he can help us get out of this place so his mother has her own delusional, uh, you know, kind of mind. That Tom yeah, Wayne can be her but savior. you don't see, you don't see this until a little bit later. You see, she's fixated on it, but what you also hear is that uh, she mentions that she, she worked for them. them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm automatically thinking, okay, you know, maybe. She's, you know, being that she's old, she seems a bit bedridden. Maybe she's senile, and you know, she's busy right. writing in as a former employee. And you know, they're probably dismissing her, saying like, "Hey, you know, we don't, you know, we can't really mess with this or whatever. There's really nothing that we can do. We gave her a severance and all this and that." Um, yeah, for it to go in the direction that it went in, that I wasn't seeing coming. And it's one oh, of the yeah. things that like really kind of shocked me because when it happened. In the movie, when he reads that yeah. one letter, I was oh, like, yeah. whoa, they're going to go there with this shit? That's fucked up. Yeah, that whole letter to Thomas Wayne about Arthur didn't see it coming, and I was like, holy shit. Especially when she sees him reading it, and she runs into the bedroom. Stop it. You're just mad. I'm not going to talk to you until you're like, calm down. He's like, I'm not mad. Like, <laughs> even though he's, he is about to bust down that fucking door, Jack Torrance style. Just get some answers about this letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Again, you know, he's, uh, he is, we, we start to see the foundation of, you know, some of the, the, the illness that's in him and where some of it has come from. But now it does. Obviously, when when we get to a later point in the film, it does lend to question the whole nature versus nurture question here. Mm-hmm. It is like again that part when we get to it, it was shocking to me. Like even more shocking than the letter was when you find out the truth about Arthur's childhood. Like to me, that was even more shocking than just that initial letter. Um, but I also want to talk about Zazie Beetz, who plays Sophie, a neighbor. She played Domino in Deadpool two. She's playing the neighbor in this movie that Arthur has an infatuation with. Um, I love when he's on the elevator with uh, Sophie and her daughter, and the daughter's talking about the place being miserable and just repeating it over and over again, and she does, you know, the gun to the head motion and just goes, and Arthur takes a liking to that, and he just decides to do it in the hallway too, like, hey, right? 
And she's like, yeah, that's 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 funny, Arthur. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's hidden funny humor in it, but her just kind of like, yeah, this guy probably, I don't want to talk to him again. <laughs> I don't want to be in an elevator with Arthur again. But the way it's presented, that may not be the truth, as we see the movie progress with him following her, uh, going to her job, following her around to her daughter's school, and then her being hip to it and saying, you followed me, didn't you? And he goes, yeah, you know, I got a gun, so, I mean, that's cool. But I also do stand-up comedy. You want to come see me? And she's like, oh, that'd be great. I think I will. I think I'll, I'll go to Pogo's and see you perform. So it's it, the way it's presented, you think maybe she could be in the You know, maybe there is something about Arthur that she likes. Yeah, well, again, I mean, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the it, <laughs> it was very creepy. You know, the whole entire thing. Him following her around. He's wearing that, you know, that yellow slicker with the hood pulled mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, almost looking like Bruce Willis in... Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, a glass and fucking uh, Glass breakable. and all that stuff, you know, unbreakable. Yeah, um, yeah this... Uh, and again, obviously, like, we're, we're trying so hard not to, like, skip around and do all this and that with it, but, like, I kind of want to be able to, like, discuss the story as a whole while also hitting, like, the beats of it. Like, yeah, we're, we're introduced to this as, you know, an uncomfortable interaction between them, but ultimately, you know, the, the idea as presented to us is that Arthur is so charming and funny that, you know, she goes for it. And, you know, that leads to her ending up going to uh, to, to his his stand-up at Pogo's. Oh, um, so rough. <laughs> you know, but yes, but again, uh, this is all, remember, in between all this is the main, you know, the main catalyst. The thing that right. truly transforms Arthur. And when I say transform, I'll bring it up. But this, this what, what happens next is, is what really does things. You know, the gun falls out during the uh, the clown show for the, the children's hospital. Arthur loses his job. And then as he sits there on a train, you know, pretty much what, what I've taken the laugh to be is typically when Arthur is at his saddest yes, yep. or his most uncomfortable is when that laugh starts to occur. That's when it comes out. There's obviously no mirth to it as, you know, and again, like he gives the, the little card in the bus to the woman, you know, yeah. it's, it's an uncontrollable thing. It just happens mm-hmm. at inappropriate times. I find those times as presented in this film to be, again, undue stress, you know, or stress that is, is a breaking point for him. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he sits here on the train and we, we get, you know, the next sequence, man, which if you want to take that away... I will, because so, what I liked about it is that you have these three Wall Street peppy uppies. They're on this train, and they're harassing a woman, you know, trying to get them to come back with her, and they're obviously drunk and just having a good time messing with her. And when Arthur sees this, he starts laughing. And like you had talked about, this isn't a laugh with mirth. This isn't like, yeah, get that bitch. This is like, he looks like he's crying when he's laughing. Like, it looks like it hurts him to laugh, but he can't help it because of his psychological disorder. So what bothered me even more is the fact that these three drunk guys know pretty much every single word that Stephen Sondheim sent in the clowns. I was impressed. I was like, man, they are drunk, and they know every word to this fucking song. Yes, they are fucking around with Arthur on this train. 
taking off his wig and putting it on and laughing at him, but then throwing him to the ground and beating on him. And there's just you know, it's three people on one. So you think they're just going to beat the fuck out of him. They're going to get off the train and leave. Arthur has the gun, and he puts it to quick use, blasting away two of them, wounding one, and then chasing him out of the subway train onto the platform, where it is such a great tracking shot of Arthur leaving the train. And I love it when the yuppie is trying to leave the train, and he's looking for Arthur. Arthur's looking for him, too, but he's trying to hide from the yuppie, not to show his location. And then finally, they have that confrontation on the stairwell where Arthur just puts three or four bullets into this guy's chest and then beats it out of the fucking subway into that bathroom where you have a moment of him being able to catch his breath. And then he starts to do this weird, interpretive, almost sensual, sexual kind of dance post the shooting. It's almost like that's his release. That's almost like his orgasm in a way, post these murders. But what did you think about that? Because to me, it was one of the best parts. Absolutely. Um, as mesmerizing the second time as it was the first time. Yeah. Um, and you know what? When I said before that there were little things that I didn't, you know, that I didn't feel like watching it a second time, I really got much more out of the film. Uh, that that was a little bit wrong because there were certain things that I did, and this is actually one of the uh, one of the high points for that. Um, yeah, these guys come rolling into the train. And, you know, first you got the, the drunk guy throwing the French fries at the chick who won't talk to him. Mm-hmm. You know, she gives Arthur a look, you know, a, a pleading look of like, you know, help me. Can you say something? Can you can you believe this shit? And that's what sets Arthur off laughing. You know, here we go yet yep. again. You know, Arthur, everything, you know, as we see him talk to the therapist, like he says, all I have are negative thoughts. Right. Like, he's seeing this, and again, everything around him is, is just – it's just degrading and devolving, and this is what people are, are doing to people and how they're treating each other. Um, so I think, again, here's that big stress moment, which leads to this laughter, which leads to these guys singing, sending the clowns, and beating the crap out of them. Yeah, and it leads to Arthur fighting back you know, for the first time because yes. now he has the power. He has the gun. So he's taking power into his own hands, and he is going to – mercilessly uh, kill these three men and leave them for dead and run and to have that dance by himself in this bathroom, the, which it was such two, a weird way to cap off the scene, but great. The two were self-defense. The two were yeah. self-defense. The third, while running away, you know, he clips the guy in the leg. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's at that point, though, that Arthur needs to go on the hunt. He needs to take this guy out. Obviously, he still has enough of his facilities to know that he could get in trouble for doing what he just did. I love how bloody it was, too, man. Like, the first shot that goes to the guy's head, bam, you just see the blood splatter all over the bed, the the freaking wall of the train, and then the two shots Mm -hmm. in the chest, and again, more. Those are through and throughs, you know. There's still more blood on the the wall behind him. Um, But the execution, death was the one that really stood out because, you know, he tracks this guy, he follows him, he shoots him multiple times in the back and then makes sure that he, you know, double taps. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure that guy doesn't get back up. Just to use a little bit of zombie land there. Um, the, the, The sequence in the bathroom was what I said before about being transformative 
It was almost like watching a butterfly come out of its chrysalis. Completely. You know, here he is, and it's like he he watches, he twists and turns himself, and then he's kind of like just like awkwardly stretching out and spreading like a butterfly, spreading its wings for the first time. I feel like this is Arthur realizing this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm I'm embracing this because I this is the only thing that has ever brought any kind of joy to my life. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever felt like I've been in control of something Important. in my life. Yeah. And yeah, following that after the dance, he marches right back to where he lives and he opens up that door to Sophie's apartment and plants that big kiss on her like, Hey, listen, I'm in control. I'm going to give you some of this. Again, it's like, you know, he is just, he's like you said, he's in control of his facilities now. Like he knows who he is and that's what gives him this confidence to kiss Sophie, to kind of, you know, date her for a little while in the movie. And it was just great to see because just for the first time in the movie, he seems kind of normal. You know, walking around with Sophie and going through the city and then seeing the newspapers report on this clown that killed these three Wall Street people and they're looking for him. They don't know where he is. He knows. And I love that tracking shot of the one guy wearing the clown mask in the cab. And Arthur just watches this pass by and he's just got this great grin on his face. Like, I, I started this. <laughs> like, these people are wearing these masks because of me. Yeah. Which, again, though, is like, okay. So we know that these guys are Wayne, Wayne employees. You know, Thomas Wayne comes yeah. on, right? And says, mm-hmm. like, hey, these guys are my employees. Um, you know, we have that scene with, with Arthur and Penny sitting there, and they're, they're watching the news clip, and he's like, look, I didn't know these guys personal, personally, but they're family. Right. And, you know, Penny is obviously nodding her head, like, see, because, you know, I work. We're family. <laughs> We're always going to be family. He's always going to take care of us. Um, mm-hmm. But, again, this is where I start to think about the unreliable narrator, because you have that scene okay. of the guy in the cab. You have the scenes now. You have the, the the newspaper articles that show, you know, this 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 monstrous looking clown, and you know, there's the sequence where where Arthur is like looking at it, making you know a funny face at it, and you know, Sophie yeah. comes over and you know asks him, you know, well, starts to talk to him about it, and she's like, "Fuck him, man, they deserved it." The right. reason why I start to wonder again about the unreliable narrator. Remember, these guys were simply Wayne employees. All of a sudden, you start seeing newspaper clippings talking about the clown being a vigilante, which a vigilante is somebody that takes law into their own hands. It's somebody that is going about and taking care of something that somebody might have done illegally or to harm them personally and took that person out. So the fact that you start seeing these vigilante things starts to make me feel like these are parts of Arthur's delusion. It's himself aggrandizing himself because of what he did. You know, for him, like, yeah, the protests, all of that stuff that's going on is, is real. But, right. like, these, mm-hmm. these ideas that these, this clown movement that is occurring is what I feel is probably not. I feel like that, okay. the majority of that is in his head. That's a good point. You know, I mean, it, it's good for the narrative that you're watching at this point in the movie. Um, like you said, the riots, where everybody's wearing the clown masks, 
and all the protests, you know, because Thomas Wayne, he's not kind to the people that are kind of below him, the people that aren't uh, on the upper 1%. Um, I mean, this is in contrast to what we've seen in previous Batman movies, where Thomas is kind of for the people, you know, and he wants to help them, and he wants to do good, and, you know, he wants to help out. This, I like this Thomas Wayne, where he's just a dick, where he's just like, fuck anybody that doesn't make a lot of money. That's your fault that you don't make money. Not my fault. Well, we've We've also only got well, and again though, I I feel like one like in other films we really haven't gotten much of Thomas Wayne anyway. You get yeah, you get little bits and pieces in Batman Begins, and that's mostly him with Bruce anyway, telling Bruce, you know, what happens when you fall down? Well, you get back up. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> um, you know, we know that they set up the Wayne Foundation and that they were philanthropists and whatnot. Um, I feel like what we're seeing with this Thomas Wayne, it's more that he's a an idealist, he's a realist, without being fantastical about it. You know, he's mm-hmm. not turning, He he's, when he's talking about, you know, the the, the three guys being killed... I feel like his wording almost gets twisted in a way to where it identifies that the, the, the lower people, when the reality is he's really only talking about Arthur. You know, it's right. not everybody that he's means. He's just calling Arthur a coward. You know, what kind of man, you know, hides behind a mask when he does something like this? Which, of course, is, again, ironic in who his son is going to be. Um, yeah. Which again is what yeah. is what they're playing with here too, you know. Like these are all those like little little Easter eggy things that make you know comic book fans and and people like us snicker yeah. and laugh like, <laughs> look what's gonna happen yeah. to his son. You know, I, like, I think of like the reason <laughs> yep. um the uh, the Batman who laughs and like the whole like the, the yeah. metal Batman universe that mm-hmm. occurred. Like there's a universe yeah. in which Thomas Wayne became Batman because Bruce got killed and Thomas Wayne don't take no shit from Well Thomas Wayne don't take no shit from nobody either, man. Like Thomas nope. Wayne is killing people nope. straight out. Like he does not have <laughs> yeah. any of Batman's like, Hey, I'm not gonna kill. Thomas is just like, Yeah, I'm gonna shoot you. There you go. <laughs> yep. You're dead. Yeah. I I like that run too, that that metal Batman that they had. Because it was, oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was so good. But, yeah, with this, like, because he's uh, – Thomas Wayne in that interview specifically says, you know, the people that are below me that make money are clowns. You know, so whether or not that's Arthur making that up in his own mind, like you had just said, that the clown movement really didn't happen, it's a good catalyst for what happens later. You know, calling you know, people of Gotham that aren't rich clowns because that's, you know, leads to all these protests and Arthur feels like he's a part of something now where he felt like he never really had anything before. Now he has this. Um, and I want to talk about when he goes to Pogo's for the first time to do stand-up. And he gets in front of the microphone and just has an uncontrollable laughter that he can't control for a little while until he finally gets into his book and tells just not funny jokes. Like, they're just very lame, you know, not very funny jokes. But the crowd starts to kind of pick up on it, and you see Sophie in the crowd, and she's kind of laughing at his jokes. And then all of a sudden, you hear a lot of laughter. And he's just so happy. Like, you know, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. But you got to kind of think about it in his own mind. And you get the reality of what really happened um, later in the movie, you know, what happened at the comedy club. That it wasn't as good as uh, Arthur imagined it. 
Yeah, and, like, that's the thing, though. Like, because, again, being that we got that whole fantasy sequence in the beginning, none of the things that turn out to be a fantasy as far as, like, a proven, like, on screen what you see as being a fantasy, none of it surprised me because I didn't trust any of it after that initial one in the first place. Um, So even watching this, being that acute to the music and, you know, you're not really hearing – you're not hearing, like, the live audience like you heard when the other comedian was in there earlier. Um, mm-hmm. There's that one scene where Arthur is watching a comedian and he's taking notes on, like, you know, keeping eye contact. And, you know, he's writing down the mental illness thing, you know. To, to It shows that Arthur has a semblance of intelligence because he is identifying, like, these are the things that this comedian's doing. These are the things that how he's doing it. He even realized that, hey, you know this guy is probably taking something that he's doing with his wife in real life, but he's embellishing it, which is what a lot of comedians do. I've always found like the ones that I've enjoyed the most are the ones that actually kind of talk about their real lives, but they embellish it a little bit, you know, or they can, they can put that little bit of a twist on it to just make it, you know, not quite like if a perfect example is somebody like John Leguizamo. You know, oh, yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of people don't like his, his stand-up and whatnot. I find it be, to be genius. Like, yeah, here he is oh, yeah. he's talking about, you know, a fucking an abusive childhood. <laughs> yeah. Yet he can look at it and he's worked it and turned it into something that at least he can look at and laugh. And it works as a form of therapy for him. Um, you know, and it's real twisted when you look at it that way. But at least if he's the one that lived it and he can look at it like that then who am I to judge it and not be able to find it funny as well? So, I mean, I think that's the problem these days, is that everybody's so busy getting butt hurt for everybody else that nobody, like, realizes, mm-hmm. like, hey, people live fucking past these things. People get through these things, and they fucking move on. Um, but regardless, again, Arthur, yeah, I-, I felt like watching it like, yeah, this is just a total bomb, because his jokes, as we hear from his mom, you know, he's like, yeah, they're saying, yeah, they're go, go up and do it. And she's like, well, don't you have to be funny? <laughs> yeah, 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 his mom holds back nothing, and he just, but he wants it. You know, that's what he wants to do is be a stand-up comic. Um, <clears throat> and speaking of his mom, uh, Penny, she ends up being hospitalized because we have two detectives in the movie, uh, Burke and Garrity. Uh, they go to Arthur's apartment to question him about the shooting that happened on the subway because they had heard from HaHa that he had gotten a gun and was carrying it around. But this questioning causes Penny to have a heart attack and be hospitalized. So Arthur blames the cops for their interrogation tactics, and Sophie's sitting with him the entire time and kind of looking over his mother's body. Uh, she's laying there, and that's when you get the Murray Franklin show and then playing the tape of Arthur bombing at the club. You know, saying, all mm-hmm. my life I've always wanted to be a comedian. Well, nobody's laughing now. And you got that right, pal. And it's like crushing to Arthur that his hero is now shitting all over him. Like this one person that he's loved is now just crushing his dreams and what he did at Pogo's. Yeah, well, and and the funny thing though too is, you gotta wonder, had Arthur not had that transformation, 
would he have even realized that Murray was making fun of him? You know, like that's the thing. That's what really breaks him. You know, he sees yeah. himself up there originally, and he's very he's ex- he's ecstatic about it. I mean, right. as anybody mm-hmm. would be. You know, and to some degree, you know, Joaquin plays this in a in a childlike state of mind at times. Um, like a regressed child, let's say, like an adult boy man. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously, mm-hmm. like anybody sees himself on TV, they're fucking, they're thrilled all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But then to have Murray, yes, to have this guy who he, you know, looks at as a as a father like figure, to be sitting there and saying this about him and whatnot. Uh, and poking fun at him, but more importantly, Arthur realizes that he's being made fun of. Like he actually yeah. gets mm-hmm. it, that he's, you know, that 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 Murray is not just supporting him. It's not the fantasy. The reality is, is Murray's kind of a dick. Yeah, just you know, being unfair to him, you know, with that stand up and everything that goes with it. Um, I want to talk about one thing. And because we talked about the unreliable narrator, when we get the reveal that through the letter that Arthur Fleck is actually the son of Thomas Wayne, you have Arthur going to Wayne Manor and we get introduced to a very young Bruce Wayne. I love the little uh, thing of him sliding down the pole because I'm like, ah, I see what you did there. You're doing the back pole. You know, with him sliding down his playhouse. <laughs> you know. It's always but, been there, man. Yeah, I just, to me, this was, to me, when I watched it, I was like, this is fantasy. This never happened. Like, Arthur never went to Wayne Manor and confronted Alfred and talked to Bruce and put the smile on his face and showed him magic. It didn't happen. Because it just, it seemed too perfect. No, see, I feel like it did. Specifically because of the confrontation that happens with Thomas afterwards. Again, like I also said, man, there's I find that there's argument that everything we see in this film didn't happen. Um, But if we were to take things at face value after intercepting the letter and seeing that, you know, yes, indeed, his mother has been writing to Thomas Wayne talking about, you know, the fact that he is Thomas's son. That he needs help. You know, you could pick up little things in the letter that he's, you know, he's sad, but he's a good boy. Um, you know, they, uh, yeah, you have the, 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 the shots of him taking the subway ride up to, to where Wayne Manor would be. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that this occurs as far as, like, you know, again, in the framework, if the whole film is to be taken <clears throat> as reality, this sequence occurs because again, we have the sequence later with Thomas in the bathroom where he says, you ever touch my son again, I'll kill you. Oh, sorry. Right. If you ever touch my son again, I'll fucking kill you. You know, like he drops the full on F bomb, you know? So we know that he interacted with Bruce in order to elicit that kind of response. I love that fucking scene though. When he gets to the gala event and you have all the protesters outside and he's kind of waving his fist too. Like, you know, yeah, 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 I'm with you guys. Like, this is right, man. Fucking clowns, right? And then he gets into the theater and dresses up like one of the attendants, you know, at the theater. And that's when he finally gets out of those clothes and confronts Thomas in the bathroom. And he's like, come on, Dad. All I want is some fucking love. You know, just some fucking attention. Like, why can't you give it to me, Dad? Because <laughs> you know, he doesn't want money. He doesn't want any of that. He just wants to be accepted. 
by this person he feels like is his father. Like anybody. How about a little bit of warmth? How about a little bit of warmth, you know? And like we heard from him earlier, yeah, everybody is so mean to everybody. You know, yeah. everything is just getting worse out there. Like these are the things that he's saying to the to the psychiatrist or whoever she is at the beginning. I mean, she can't be the psychiatrist. Yeah. I guess she's just a, a social worker because she's a social worker. She yeah. Says, she's, yeah, yeah, because he asks you know for the doctor to give him more uh, more medication, um, which we find out that he's on seven different meds. Oh yeah. Um, yep. I'd like to say that's 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 ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah, no, that's the kind of shit that happens uh, these days oh, with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, unfortunately, mental illness being what it is, there's no, oh, hey, this is what you got, this is what we give you. No, it's, hey, we're going to try this, see how this works, and then if it doesn't seem to be doing exactly what it is that we need it to do, then we're going to adjust this, add that, take this away, move this up, give you this, give you that. And, yeah, it's just a constant merry-go-round of stuff that ultimately really almost feels like it never works. You know, that that's really no. what it comes down to. It really feels like if it is working. And I know there are people out there that, you know, their medications, they help them. But, you know, uh, from my own experience, I really feel like it's, it's such a crapshoot that it's, it's just ridiculous. And I, in my real-life jobs, uh, I work with people that are on, you know, many, many, many medications. I've read the reports as part of my job. And I'm like, how are they standing? Like, they're on so many medications for various different mental and physical disorders. I don't even know how they operate. So when he was on seven, I'm like, that's believable. I believe it. Like, that's not like, oh, wow, seven? That's outrageous. No, I believe it. Because people in this world, sometimes they need to be prescribed different medications for different things. So him taking all those, I believe, and especially because he wants the, the, you know, up, you know, he wants that dosage up on those meds. Yeah, well, the thing though too is, man, and you know, obviously it's not, it's not going to be brought up in this movie because that's not what this movie's about. But when it comes down to it, think about this, man. Have you ever looked at what the cost is for pharmaceuticals in this country? Oh, of course they're going to want to prescribe as many fucking medications as possible. And if you're on yep. social, give me a break, man. The fucking state's paying <laughs> for it. The government's paying for it. God only knows what they're fucking charging them. They charge you a shit ton when you don't, you know, when you for have real? regular insurance. So. I just yeah. got the other day, I got my bill in from when I had my catheterization done. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was back in, in February from when they put the stents right. in my heart. Now, listen, I'm thankful. I really am, obviously. But, you know, this was a procedure that took, you know, and again, listen, hospital, all that stuff. But I got the breakdown bill. This procedure took, uh, I want to say roughly two and a half to four hours, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, in the breakdown, just the catheterization itself cost $69,000. Fucking $69, $69, $69,000. They question everybody else on, on who the fucking criminals in this world are. I mean, listen, <laughs> yeah. I get it. This doctor, I, he might have saved my fucking life, man. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. That's fucking preposterous, dude. Like, really? Yeah, put you in agreement with these fucking bills. <laughs> you know? 
It is it's, just, yeah, I just, can only imagine what people go through without insurance. Thankfully, I've got insurance. <laughs> yeah. So, you yeah, know, I know. Like, uh, the, the funny thing is, is after everything's adjusted, which makes it even funnier, you know, after all these adjustments, I only owe them $56. So it's like, man, like what fucking state of reality is that in, man? Like that just seems yeah. fucking ridiculous to me. <laughs> like I said, imagine if you didn't have insurance. How long do you fucking pay well, it off? Until you're dead. But, my, but that's my point. You know what I mean? If you don't have insurance, are they going to do that kind of procedure? You know, obviously by law they're supposed to and all this and that. But, you know, like, come on, man. What doctors are out there doing seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 worth of fucking medical work and not getting paid for it in some way? It makes me feel like somebody's lying somewhere. You know, either the hospital mm-hmm. is saying they're billing out for that amount, but they're really not. You know, or it's right. one of those where it's like, well, the hospital shows you, oh, yeah, look, you know, this is why you have insurance. Insurance is worth it because otherwise you would have paid 70000 You know, when the reality is they're giving the doctor 20000 they're pocketing five, and they're like, hey, bye, see you later. <laughs> um, Keep getting insurance, but, people. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, I have it. I love it. <laughs> you know, just love that security blanket of having it. Um, but when you get back into the movie after he has a conversation with Thomas, he seeks validation. So he goes to Arkham and he goes to discover his mother's files. And uh, Brian Tyree Henry plays the orderly. I fucking love him uh, in Atlanta, which is an FX show, but he was also in Child's Play as Detective mm-hmm. Norris. Uh, okay, I knew so he looked visual. familiar. That's where I know him. I <laughs> yep. don't watch Atlanta, but yes, I was like, yeah, I know yeah. this guy from something. Yeah, yeah, he's Paperboy in Atlanta, but he's also Detective Mike Norris in Child's Play. But, yeah, just, you know, he, and he's talking to Arthur, and he's reading off the file, and he's like, hey, you know what, man, uh, you know, if you need, you need help, you can talk to somebody. I mean, there's somebody out there that can hook you up with something, and Arthur goes, they dropped all those. <laughs> that Mickey Mouse voice of his. <laughs> Arthur knows. He's playing with the guy saying, well, what does it take to get locked up in a place like this? <clears throat> like, what do you have to do? I mean, I, I don't know. But... It's him reading it off and reading about the adopted son that Penny adopted Arthur and put him through fucking hell, being abused by people that she was seeing, allowing it to happen. And when he realizes that he's actually talking to Arthur, I can't read the rest of this. Uh, if you bring your mother down, I could probably sign. No, Arthur's going to fucking take that shit. <laughs> he just, and he's running with that file because he needs to read the rest. I just, I love it, you know, he's busy struggling with him through it, through the gate, and, you know, Arthur's way of getting it is to to headbutt the gate, you know, like, what better Mm -hmm. way to really throw somebody off than to put, like, a little bit of (laughs) self-harm on yourself, man, it works every time, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and then watching him do that crazy zany run that he does, you know, it's like, uh, it's like over-exaggerated, but because of, like, his weird physical proportions it's mm-hmm. not played for comedy you know you just kind of feel no. like this is how this guy is <laughs> like this is what he does how he runs just those knees up running through the hallway <laughs> you know just full on charging down the hallway and it's great to see again I laughed you know I saw him running through the hallway because I thought it was funny you know many people in the theater didn't but I did and I thought it was kind of funny but you know when he finds out the truth and he goes back to his mother who's in that hospital and he's sitting there and says, you know, it's funny. 
I thought that my life was a tragedy, but it's actually a fucking comedy. And then smothers the shit out of her. I loved it. Because in a way, I'm like, you know what? She deserved it for all the hell that she put him through. Like, this is him fucking getting revenge. But he's ending it right there in that, that hospital room. It's the last connection to... I feel like, Anything. okay, I feel like this broke in the hospital in the first place. Like, we find as he's standing there in the hallway reading the paperwork and flipping mm-hmm. through these things, you know, you find out that, you know, that, that Arthur was abused, um, that the mother was arrested, her boyfriend really fucked him up. Um, God only knows what level of abuse. They really don't go into the into the detail of that. Oh, yeah. um, but like I said earlier, because we know that he's adopted, it really does play to the notion of like okay originally when you realize that she's a little bit mentally off you sit there and say okay well obviously he is too because his mother was but the fact that he's adopted then (laughs) brings into question is this nature is this nurture is he born mentally ill or was this a case in which he was a normal child who was broken by these people who did this to him um you know, we really don't get question? the full story. We don't know. It could be no. one. It could be the other. It could be the mix of both. It could be the perfect storm. Who really knows? We don't. You know, we only get the information that's given to us, and we go from there. I feel once he found that out, that was it. That was the cut um, yeah. yep. of reality for him as far as, like, you know what? I have no ties to anyone in this world. Well, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, okay, so yes, he kills Let's her, get he kills her, <laughs> and then goes to the girlfriend's house. Sophia's apartment. Yes, and he goes in, and, you know, he's walking in, like, he just walks right in, he sits down on the couch, and again, yeah. up to this point, it's kind of been played off like they've been dating, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were scenes where she's in the hospital with him, with the mom, and all that, uh, yep. She walks into the room and is scared shitless. Shitless, yeah. And automatically is like, hey, you got to get out of here. Now, my first thought was like, oh, she's married. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe that's how they were playing it. But right. again, like I said, I really kind of like was like, all right, no, this whole time they've been faking this. And yeah, they go into the whole, you realize that she's never been what we've the been seeing people. her. To him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everything that we're seeing is we're seeing her with him, and then we're seeing the reality. You know, Arthur smiling in front of the newsstand with her, looking at the newspaper article. Arthur staring at the newspaper and just staring at the articles by himself. Her not being there in the comedy club. Her not being there in the hospital. All of this delusional fantasy going on within his mind this could really be the argument of what breaks him because I think at this point he even realizes to himself how delusional he is. And I love that fact when he's sitting on that couch and she confronts him for the first time and he goes, I just had a really bad day. To me, again, that was the throwback to the killing joke where the Joker Mm -hmm. says all it takes is one bad day. But at the same time for Arthur, like you had said, in his own mind, he's dating her. So when he tells her, I just had a bad day, like he's expecting her to say, oh, that's okay, baby. You know, let's talk about it. Why'd you have a bad day? Instead, she's like, do I need to call somebody? 
like, is your mom home? Like, you know, do you need somebody? Because you need to leave. Like, my daughter's home. And that's Well, that's, again, that's it's, like, it's like it was with, yeah, yeah. with um, Thomas. All he's mm-hmm. looking for is just a little bit of warmth. You yeah. know, just a little bit from somebody, anybody. You know, everybody in his life has treated him poorly or, like, shit or, like, wasted. You know, once we find out about, like, all this with his mom, like, you know, it makes you start thinking about other scenes. Like, yeah, they sat there and they watched the Murray show. But then there's the but sequence where after, after he has the fantastical date yep. that he gets home. And he wakes the mom up, and he's, like, in a good mood. And she's like, you have cologne on. And he's dancing with the mom. And he's like, I had, you know, I just had a a great date or a wonderful night. And the mom just walks into the bedroom. Like, she just, she doesn't even have a response to it. It's almost like she rolls her eyes and just walks away. And and you wonder, like, is that her being cold? Or is it just because she knew that this was all a delusion in his head? Either way, the fact that she doesn't even interact with him is what's, Proof that she has been abusing him his, his entire life. You know, this is just—it's never right. stops. It's just changed. Mm-hmm. And this leads into the third act of the film, where we we had shots of Arthur, which I did like because it was so weird, but I liked it uh, when he takes everything out of the fridge, and then he gets in and closes the door behind <laughs> him, like he's <laughs> like he just wants to sit in the fridge, and the phone's ringing, and he's getting different messages from people. But he finally gets that one from the Murray Franklin show. And the rep calls him and says, oh, you know, Murray, we played your video and, you know, it got a great response. You know, people loved it. And Murray would like to have you on as a guest. And, of course, he's like, hell yeah, I want to do it. Of course. You know, I'll be there. Um, and you get, uh, again, my favorite Frank Sinatra song of all time is That's Life. So I was, gla- I was so glad that they use it in this uh, movie. Because that's well, yeah, my favorite they, song. They use it so well. Murray's show with it. Yeah, because that's what, that's what his catchphrase is. But the, the whole thing of Arthur sitting in the apartment and putting on the makeup, you know, that white cake face makeup and licking the brush as he's doing it. So, like, you know, just get... <laughs> no creepy. He looks yeah. so creepy mm-hmm. without any of the color patterns. Like, it's almost more just horrific. Like, yeah. Just the white. Because it's just the way it, like, the way it coats his face and because of the weight loss and the way his face looks in this film, it's just so angular and sharp and it juts out in ways. It was so bizarre just seeing it all white like that. Um, yeah. You know, the fridge sequence was weird. Um, like, you have, the cop <laughs> yeah. calling, you have the cops calling on the phone. I almost mm-hmm. feel like that was, like, one of those where maybe Joaquin was, like, ad-libbing. Like, they, he's supposed to just kind of be in the kitchen, and they're like, yeah, just kind of, like, meander around the kitchen. And, you know, in, in Joaquin's mind, he's like, well, what would a mentally ill person do that's in this, like, state of mind where they're all fucked up and everything's gone and they've lost everything? And, like, he came up with, hey, I'm going to climb into the refrigerator. Like, that was just fucking weird. It just didn't make any sense. Yep. At all. But I liked it. I just, I did. Like, I appreciated it. I was like, it's fucking weird. But it's where his mind was at. Um, it works. Yeah, when uh, Randall and Gary, Gary the little person, <laughs> and Randall the guy that gave him the gun, walk into the apartment, <laughs> they walk in and they're like, oh, hey, you know, we just wanted to stop by. You know, we know that your mom died. Uh, hey, look, you're painting your face. Did you get a new gig? He goes, no. And he's like, well, then are you going to the big rallies they're going to have downtown and, and be a part of the protest? 
oh, that's today? He's like, yeah, uh, that's today, uh, Arthur. The way he stands in that doorway when he puts out the cigarette in the door frame, ugh, like just seeing how his ribs are sticking out, just putting his arms up against that door frame. I was like, oh, wow. Like he went all in for this character. Yeah. Absolutely, and again, we've been seeing like the body morphing throughout the whole film. So at least by this point, you're kind of like you're used to it, but it's really like it, there's just times <laughs> that it's jarring. Um, yeah, I love that. And the, the, the whole yeah. like they're like, well, mm-hmm. well, why the paint? And he's like, well, my mom <laughs> just died. I'm celebrating. Dude, <laughs> yes, I died I, both that. times. I man, cracked the fuck both up. Both times I started cracking up, you know, and everybody in the audience in both fucking times, they were like just silent. And Quiet. I'm like, yeah. Like, dude, like, that, was a fucking, that was a funny joke. Arthur finally said something funny. <laughs> yeah. But the, the I guess the disturbing thing is, though, is for him, it's the reality. He is celebrating the fact that he just murdered his mother, similar to how he celebrated killing the three Wayne employees. So I, mean, yep. I get, I get maybe that's us being a little bit of a, of a broken, broken people I to guess. begin with. But I, I found. I died in that book. Yeah, and then you have Randall saying, "Hey, uh, anyway, so Arthur, you know, these two cops came by, you know, the joint where we work, and they're asking about that gun, and you didn't say anything to them, right? Like we're cool, right, brother?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." All of a sudden, Arthur breaks out that knife and just goes, "Yeah, we're cool," and then just fucking starts going to town on Randall stabbing him in the chest, in the eye, and then bashing him in that door frame while Gary screams, Poor why, Gary. Arthur, why? Why? Poor Gary. Arthur? <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for this guy uh, on two fronts. I really do. Yeah. The first front, obviously, is from the character standpoint. This poor guy mm-hmm. had no idea what he was walking into. He really no. went there because he felt bad for Arthur losing yeah. his mom. There was no ulterior motive for Gary. Nope. No. You know, Randall he, he obviously was, had another motive. You know, yeah. He had and like motive. He wanted says, to yeah. know, make sure that he wasn't the one that was getting thrown under the bus for the gun, all this and that. The other reason I feel bad for Gary is just he's uh, not a very good actor. So no, like when he's busy dropping those lines in the background, why, this and that, it was almost like silly to the point of like, dude, just just look scared. That's all you needed to do. Yeah, that's it. I love yeah. Randall's fucking line though about with the whole thing. Like when 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 Gary goes, well, the cops didn't talk to me, and he's like, well, that's because they're looking for a regular sized person. If it was a midget <laughs> yeah. clown that killed him, you'd already be in jail. Holy shit! Yeah. So I, I cracked up yeah. every at both times that I've seen it, man. Uh, and that and also like the after effect, seeing all the blood and door frames, and you know he's gonna let Gary go. And he's like, yeah, I'll let you go. He can't you know, reach the, the fucking chain. <laughs> he can't reach the last, and I'm cracking up. <laughs> he's like, uh, Arthur? He's like, oh, yeah, shit, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, I got it. You know, he shuts well, the door real quick, and you the... think he's going to kill him? And he's like, no, nah, you're the only guy that's nice to me. Get out of here, you little shit. All, <laughs> all the blood, like, fucking all over his face. And poor Gary has to, like, walk past him. And he's, like, telling him, he's like, yeah. don't look, don't, don't look. look. At it. But yeah. then, he even, then he even gives him a jump scare. He's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. dude, holy <laughs> shit, I fucking lost it. I was like, this is fucking fantastic. Yep, especially when he shut the door before they let him go. He's like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. you're the only person oh, that was ever dude. nice to me. 
when that happened, I was like, oh, fuck, he's been fucking with him. I thought he was going to kill him. When he closed the door, I really, for a minute, I was like, oh, man, that's fucking cold. Like, you know, he really yeah. was a fucking little guy. I think he was going to get <laughs> out, and now he's just going to murder him so that there's no witnesses. But uh, no, <laughs> yep. he does. He, he gives him that. That's, I guess, that last little bit of humanity in him, though. You that's know, it. Yeah, this one was person was, was nice, nice enough to him, and he, he even gives him a kiss on the head. Oh, I love that cracked up at that. I was shying. Everybody else is like stoic, like, oh my God. I'm like, you don't see what's funny? Like, you don't get this? Like, come on, it's funny. You know, but then you get him in full Joker regalia with the with the maroon suit on, looking great. And then you have Gary Glitter's rock and roll playing as he's stomping down the stairwell. I loved it. Great song for that particular sequence. And this, watching it this time, this is probably, like I said, the one point where I thought a little bit maybe Nicholson, because you have that yes, whole sequence yes. when he goes into the museum, and you got Prince playing, yeah, he's playing and he's with, the, Prince song. with this whole thing, dancing around a little bit in there, um, but yeah, this is just, it was so great to watch, he was watching him like just strut around on the steps, he's, he's, this is the first time we're fully seeing the character realized. We've seen bits mm-hmm. and pieces. We've seen the mask, but he's always been wearing normal clothes, you know, or he's been wearing a clown suit. Like, this is the first right. time we've seen this character now as the Joker in full regalia. Like, from top to bottom, the green hair, the face paint, the eye marks, yeah. the mouth, everything yeah. is in place. And then the has he dying? Oh my god. What has he dying? This was a comment that I found on a Facebook post about Joker. Somebody said, I don't know what's more terrifying. The fact that Arthur just killed a guy in his apartment and he's completely fine with it, or the fact that the two detectives find Arthur basically hump dancing the air to nothing. Because in reality, he's not, there's no song playing. This guy's just dancing to nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Imagining a guy walking down the stairs just humping the air and dancing to no music whatsoever. You're supposed to dance like nobody's watching, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it led to another favorite sequence of mine on the subway when Garrity and the other detective chase him onto the subway, and you have everybody else wearing the masks, all the clown masks on the subway, and they're trying to track Arthur down, but he's running through that crowd, and Arthur, smartly enough, grabs one of the masks and put it on so he could kind of blend mm-hmm. in. And when the crowd starts fighting back, and one of the protesters gets shot by one of the cops, that's when the dog pile starts. Like, that's when these people are fucking sick of the cops, and they're going to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> I love Arthur. When he gets out of the subway, he takes off the mask, and he just starts fucking dancing, <laughs> watching the cops get beat up. Like he does that little flare. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just like a little, there's a little, uh, little skip in his step. Like, ha, ha, I got away. See you guys yeah, later. Later, boys. <laughs> yeah. I just kept thinking about Stuart from Mad TV. Look what I can do. He's just like this little flare of a step before he goes to the Murray Frank, uh, Franklin show. Um, and then you see him in the green room getting ready for the performance on the Murray Franklin show, and he writes on the mirror, put on a happy face and lipstick. I thought that was kind of a cool shot. The fact yeah. that he doesn't give a and fuck, you know, he's going to write on this mirror. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing, too, is if you look at the wall right behind him, you see this, mm-hmm. this big picture of Murray on the wall with a, like a big smile, you know, like a fresh <laughs> yeah. shot. And like that's mm-hmm. the thing. When we really think about 
you know, when you really think about it, when you look at how we view, you know, actors and actresses and all this and that, like, they have all of these, these responsibilities to the studios, to movies that they're doing, all of these things, where regardless of what's going on with their lives, they have to go out there and they have to present a certain way. Because if they don't, right. they're lambasted or they're called bitches and, you know, they're, they're looked at in a, in a negative light. Like, oh, God forbid this person's having a bad, shitty day and doesn't want fucking ten cameras stuck in their face. You know, whenever they when they lash out at that kind of stuff, it's, oh, they must be having a mental breakdown. They must be fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. They must be on drugs. They're drinking again. Again, you know, like all these these things, different things happen, and I feel like that's like that little bit of a juxtaposition that we we're seeing in this film, where you know we're seeing the fakeness of what we view as reality, and you know mm-hmm. then we have you know Murray and his uh and, and his partner or whatever it Mark is hand come in. Yes, yeah. which was Mark Maron. I guess he's the showrunner yep. or whatever it is. And then they're just discussing, like, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And, and we get the line that we've heard in the commercial, you know, in the trailers. Murray, you, just you don't mind. Joker. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, sure, whatever you want, you know. Because that's what you called me, you know, in that video. You called me a joker. Yeah, whatever you want. But I love when he goes, Murray, and he goes, you will respect him, you will call him Mr. Franklin. No, 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 no. That's not the show we run. So, again, that is my pause to think that maybe Murray was not the dick that was presented in what he saw in the hospital when Murray was kind of poking fun at him. I don't know. Maybe he saw it his own way. I think that Murray kind of liked him in a way, and that's why he invited him on the show to begin with. And and listen, what we, what we know about listen, what what do we know about TV? What do we know about mm-hmm. news? It's all about ratings, man. Think about yeah, shows like you know, and and, if, and again, I know this movie's taking place in 1981, but let's fast forward to like the last you know couple of years. Look at shows yeah. like Tosh Point oh. You know that oh, guy's yeah. entire yeah. fucking career was based on <laughs> yeah. people doing stupid shit, putting it on the internet, and then him making fun of it. You know. Mm-hmm. Fucking America's Funniest Home Videos oh, yeah, Was Bob literally Saget. an entire show Based upon America laughing at Fucking people doing stupid shit Recording it and then sending it in Because they might win a cash prize um, mm-hmm. You see this all over On the on YouTube And TikTok And all these things now where, where all these kids All they want, they want likes, they want fame They want recognition, they want to know this They want to yeah. know that All of them are trying to figure out Like hey what stupid thing can we do because we don't know what's going to hit this week? You know, like, that's the thing. You never know. There's the, the, the mango song lady. I don't know if you've seen this. It's some Asian I woman out in, like, fucking Thailand or something, man. It's fucking hysterical. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I had never heard of until, like, yesterday or last night, man. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to send it. you the link. Yeah, the last one I saw was the fucking pen guy, the little Asian guy that was talking about his pen. He's got a pen. He's got an apple. Oh, that was years ago, bro. Wow, man. Yeah, that was You're the one. Yeah. Like, I'm not current. Yeah, no, there's been, yeah. there's been a whole number of things <laughs> since that, dude. Mm. Um, I'm not very current. But, but, yeah, but what I liked, the, yeah. but what I I liked about it was – in yeah. the green room, sorry Good. man This is the one, the one last part that I did like about it When they ask him about the whole clown face And <laughs> yeah. he's like Well, are, are you like What are you part of the protest or whatever And he's, nope. like, he's like, you don't believe in that stuff And he's like, 
no, no. He's like, I don't believe in anything. Right. I Cracked me up. I was like, okay, <laughs> yep. that absolutely right there. One. I wanted to clap over that. That's chaos atheist Joker. Yeah. That's where, like I mm-hmm. said, like I felt like there were little bits of Heath Ledger. Those were yeah. like the little lines that I felt this guy could become that guy. Yeah, and I loved when they first they introduce him, and Murray's like, well, we got him. Let's introduce the Joker. And you see him getting ready, and he's doing his weird twists of his arms and his legs. And then when the curtain rises, and he just does this fucking pirouette fucking dance. And then he sees Dr. Sal, and he plants a big fucking kiss on her. Again, that reminded me of The Dark Knight Returns, where Joker did that, but he actually killed the woman that he kissed mm-hmm. because he had the poison on his lips. But in this one, she doesn't die. She lives, but plants that big kiss. And then you have Murray interviewing Joker, Arthur, and it's great because Murray's playing this up as this is an awkward guy who's not very funny. I'm going to poke a little fun at him. And then that's when the cat and mouse game begins. Because now Arthur, he gets in the driver's seat. And he's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's because I killed those three people on the subway. And he's like, what? He's like, you're, you're making that up. You know, it's not. he's like, yeah, I did. You know, I don't feel bad about it. He's like, because my life is just a comedy. You know, again, the feminism coming in when he's talking to Murray. And, oh, Murray. Murray, yeah, that that yeah. was definitely you know that that antagonizing way of saying it is almost like a wife. Um, the whole I just don't have anything left to lose anymore. You know, yeah. this is yep. him saying, "Hey, you know what? Remember what did what did Thomas Wayne say? Hey, what coward hides behind a mask?" Yep. Well, he's not. He's right here. He's out in the open. He's saying straight out, "Hey, listen." I fucking did this. And you know what? There ain't nothing that you can fucking do about this to hurt me. The world has done (laughs) nothing but fucking hurt me and abuse me and torture me. There's nothing else that can be done out there that's going to fucking do any more than what's already been done. And what I agreed with, as far as the character goes, because it is kind of true, is that he says, oh, come on. You know, I killed these three people. If I was laying on the street and dying, none of you people would fucking give me any attention. You would step over me and you would move on because we're the disenfranchised. Yeah, it's the truth. It's like he is speaking truth. You know, because these were affluent people, you care. But if it was him that got shot and killed in the subway, he would just be another victim. Well, it's also because it's tragic. You know, young three businessmen who obviously are all, like, nice guys, you know, because, listen, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just common workers that are out there, you know, just happen to work for the Wayne Foundation. We watched him get fucking beat in the middle of an alleyway by a bunch of kids. Nobody fucking stopped to help him. You know, nobody went nope. to help him on the train when those three guys were beating the shit out of him. You know, and again, if it, like I said, being the, the unreliable narrator, we don't know if this was perception or if this was reality. But if we're taking it to be reality, then everything that this guy experienced, you know, is absolutely what crafted him to be what he is at this point of this film. And to cap the interview off, probably one of my favorite lines in the entire movie – um, I actually had to look it up because I wanted to write it down for the show. When Murray's ready to end the interview and he's done with it, the Joker says, knock, knock. What do you get when you cross a mentally a loner with a society 
that abandons him and treats him like trash, I'll tell you what you get. You get what you fucking deserve. And he just fucking lays into him with that gun. And to me, like I told you the other night, it was the most realistic-looking death I'd ever seen in the movie. Because it wasn't a dramatic, oh, he falls over the desk and he's just dying and all of a sudden he's dead. No, he gets shot in the head and he just leans back. Just fucking a little start, bit of blood falling. One, yep. one shot to the head. And then, you know, and again, obviously the, obviously Joker traveled to the future and watched Zombieland because he made sure to double <laughs> yeah, tap. Double tap. And pumps two, oh, in, the, pops two yeah. in the chest just to be sure. I think sure, he thought about the next you one. <laughs> but he thought about the other shot and he goes, nap. <laughs> you know, well, I love the fact that he he just hesitated on the last shot because he knew he was dead. But it was just the fact that Robert De Niro just goes back in his chair and he's just sitting there. He didn't fall over. He's not all bloody. No. Like, to me, it was realistic, and I love the way that it was presented. And then you have everybody screaming and running out, and he grabs the camera. And this, is, to me, was another Heath Ledger kind of moment for me when he grabs that camera and he goes, gun at everybody, and remember, that, and they cut, you know, to the, you know, the disturbed signal. Yeah, they cut the scene yes, and then and they, the show's over. And then the cam, but then the camera fades back, and yep. we see all the other television screens, which of course gave me a quick flashback to the Matrix Reloaded with the fucking oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the architect yep. with all his yeah, the architect and all the TV and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if uh, what I was making sure this time, especially being on the IMAX screen, to really try to get as many of them as I could, you watch yeah. one of the screens, you actually see it to its completion of what he's saying into the camera, and you see the cops okay. tackle him. You see oh, the I didn't see, guy oh, see, get I him at that. that point. So you that, that's how he ended up getting caught right there. No, I think you were and, in the regular one, too. It's just that there's so many fucking screens at that one moment that you're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to look here, I'm going to look there, wait, over here, no, here, here, here. They, um, but I was very impressed with how little De Niro was used in the film. Yes, yep, very little. To the amount of importance that his character portrayed. Um, yeah. You know, being that he's second build in the movie, you would have expected to see a name <laughs> like De Niro more. But for a character that is so important... You only see him for like little bits and pieces, and that I thought worked so effectively. And honestly, if they would have fucking cut and put the end right here, or cut to credits right here, that would have been okay. I would have, I would have been fucking one hundred percent happy with it. I would have been like, yeah, that would have been like, yep. that would have been like Infinity War level, like yeah. ending, because like when Infinity yep. War ended, and it ended on such a down note. And it faded to black. I just remember sitting there in the theater, you know, with a full packed house, and the lights came on, and everybody, like, looked at each other like, holy fuck, this is how that ended? Mm-hmm. Holy shit, everybody's dead. Yeah. But, yeah, this, what I wanted to talk about was what we agreed on, uh, is when Arthur is arrested for killing Murray, and he's in the car being taken away by the cop, and you see all the riots happening outside, um, set to cream uh, white room. Such a ledger moment for me, seeing him leaning up against the glass and smiling and watching everything going on because it reminded me of the Dark Knight when he was arrested. Yeah. He was in the backseat of the car after he escaped from Gotham PD. Like it was such a great. It was. I know it wasn't intentional, but it brought back ledger. And I just loved it. Oh, no, I'm sure. Again, you know what? I don't think anything in this movie was unintentional. 
I okay. think they purposefully, sure. and I bet you if you really dove into it, you might find some tiny little homage to Leto in here. We might find like something specific to the Jack Napier version of mm-hmm. Joker. Um, I think Phillips did a gangbuster job on kind of sprinkling in all of these little like, hey, you know, we know what came before us. Right. You know, it's here. We're respecting all of that while presenting you with something darker and new and different. And, you know, here you go. But absolutely, that scene, just his head leaning up against the glass. And I know, you know, obviously Ledger mm-hmm. had his head hanging out the window like a fucking crazy but dog. But <laughs> yeah. it was just, it was there. It was the same. It was just, it gave me the, the exact same feeling and emotion of like, this mm-hmm. is a guy completely 100% like unhinged, unattached from, from reality. You know, as fun as he may be to watch, it would be a horrifying thing to imagine this person in real life. Yeah. Uh, we get uh, him on the way to the jail. An ambulance hits the police car, which leads to a bunch of people in clown masks taking Arthur's body totally out of the police car coming. and putting it on the trunk. No, didn't. I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? I thought he was dead, and they were just going to have his dead body on the back of this car. But, no, he survived and, and gets up and... He does this amazing dance in front of everybody while their fists are up in the air. I love the fact that he takes the blood coming out of his mouth and makes a bigger grin on his face. Mm-hmm. Like, it was such no, a great I mean, day, but, yeah. Yeah. It is him coming into his own. This is him, you know, acknowledging that he is the leader of this entire movement. Yeah. I am taking full responsibility for it. I am Murray. I am important. I am the center yeah. of attention. Um, again, a weird, weird moment in, in, in a hole, though. I didn't see the ambulance thing happening. You know, I, I didn't know where they were going to go with it. I didn't know how they were going to end right. it. Right. Uh, I thought maybe they were just going to end up bringing him to Arkham. Um, right, yeah. You know, so so seeing this occur and then watching all that, we get, you know, a Batman origin. You know, we've only we've only seen I didn't like this story how many times I now? hated it. Um, I was like, Come on. Again? Like please. Not in this movie. Come on, not in this movie. Like we talked about that. I hated the Joe Cho moment. Yeah, well, like I said, too, though, I, I really do wonder this again brings me into the unreliable narrator. I wonder if being that if this is a universe in which Joker knows who Batman is does he, in his own mind, believe that everything that goes on in Gotham is due to his influence, including mm-hmm. the very thing that created, you know, that made Bruce Wayne decide to be Batman? Yeah, that is a great thing to posit. But, I mean, if you guys out there listening saw this on the big screen, that shot of him silhouetted against all the protesters was fucking amazing. The cinematography was on point, especially during that sequence. Like, seeing him just rise up and be the leader of these people. Like, it was an amazing shot for the movie. Like, I loved it. Like, I couldn't say enough good things about that. But, yeah, the the drill chill moment happened. Um, And they had also talked about the giant rats. There was a problem in the city, and there was a giant rat that ran along. You see them run behind Bruce. 
You see them scattering. Yeah. You see them in the background yeah. right there. Which again, I didn't know if you caught wonder, that. Good. Yeah. Absolutely. Which again, that's just another thing that made me wonder about whether or not this was all in his head because here was something that got mentioned at the very beginning of the film (laughs) that never gets brought up again at all. We never see it again until this very end moment. So it just, again, it's at that weird bookend for it. It happens in a weird, fantastical way. And then we cut to all of a sudden he's in Arkham. Yeah. You know, so we don't see how he got busted. You know, we don't see how he got caught. We just see that he's not cut. He's not damaged. He's not bruised. No. He's and his hair isn't green attacked. anymore. And his hair isn't green anymore. So as he sits there and he's laughing to himself as the psychiatrist is, you know, wondering what's going on. And he's like, I, I, you know, I just, I just thought of a joke. And, you know, he's like, you wouldn't understand. It yeah, really makes it. me wonder if this entire film was just these crazy – was this all the joke that he thought about while sitting was there he in, Arkham in a the therapy session? Exactly. Like, with this whole thing, not even was he in Arkham the whole time. Was this entire movie taking place in his head during like a one-hour therapy session? You know, right. like these were just all the random crazy thoughts because, again, we have a guy that's delusional. We have a guy that in the movie we saw sit there with his mother watching TV and believing himself in the TV all of a sudden. You know, so it's not that far of a stretch to think that here's a guy sitting in a fucking mental asylum thinking that, you know what, he's not only in the whole world, but that he sparked this fucking revolution that, like, created <laughs> yeah. all of this crazy incident and all these other things that happened. And what made me think that it could be possibly him and Arkham the entire time is that earlier in the film when he's talking to the social worker, she talks about his time in the mental institution, and he's standing there in the holding cell banging his head against the door wearing the similar outfit that he's wearing in Arkham. So it could be that he's in Arkham the entire fucking time, like you had said, and making it all up in his head. Everything that happened, he made it up to be more important, to act like he had more importance than Gotham actually had. Well, now we see him in the hallway and bloody footprints. The bloody footprints. Behind him. Yeah. Which, again, like, now, did he kill the psychiatrist? Is that what they're hinting at there? Because now we see him running away from orderlies and, you know, all this this, this other stuff going on. Yes, he's dancing, but he's also running. Um, (laughs) They they really (laughs) leave you to not know. For all we know, for all we know, that sequence happens before everything we saw in the movie. And the true ending in the timeline is him standing on the car. And that's where that phase and ends. And this was just cutting us back to prior to him getting released. We don't know. And that, I think, is just one of those great things. There's no extra scene. There's no reason to wait for credits. They specifically said, like, listen, we're not giving you anything like that because this movie stands on its own. It is a standalone film with no connections to anything else. There's, you know, if there's going to be a sequel, it's going to be a direct sequel to just this movie. And that's it. That was my next question. That was my next question because the budget for this movie – uh, I had researched it earlier before the show, was between 55 and $64 million. Box office-wise, $258.1 million. I think we're going to see a sequel. 
I don't think how you could get that kind of money return and not do a sequel. It's not only just thinking and think about that though. It's not even just the money return, man. That's just one weekend. The film hasn't even been out yeah. for seven days yet. Nope. It start, you know, it started like the well, first show time for me, you know, the one that I went to was Thursday at 4 p.m. So this has only been out since Thursday, and we're already at 2.58. Going to see it in the IMAX today, you know, there were plenty of people. It wasn't a filled showing, you know, don't get me wrong, but it was also 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's not like, you know... Everybody's home from work. Like, I just happened to get off early today. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? What am I going to do? Well, you know, ring, ring, A-list, time to go. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I, I actually did the long haul today, man, four and a half hours in the movie theaters, you know, seeing Joker. And then I followed it up with a uh, with an Indian film, uh, Indian action movie, which... Yeah, how was that one? <laughs> you know, I have to honestly <laughs> say... I've seen two Indian movies, you know, Hindu Indian, you know, I don't know if there's anybody listening who still considers, you know, Native Americans Indians. I don't, they're Native Americans. Nope. Um, yeah, that's right. So these are like Indians from India. They're two for two as far as their films go. <laughs> this fucking movie from start to finish was so much fun. Okay? Like, mm-hmm. it was balls to the wall, crazy action, crazy martial arts, all kinds of just Fun, fun, fun stuff, man. Like, uh, like I, I was worried because after I got out of Joker, I was almost ready to cancel the second movie. Right. But I couldn't because it was like 4.25 and the uh, the start time was 4.20, even though it was still in trailers. But once you hit the start time, you can't cancel the reservation. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'll go. I'll sit in it. And if I start to feel like I'm bored or I'm tired, I'll just leave. You know, it's no skin mm, off my right. back. Right, Dude, exactly. there was no feeling tired. This thing was like a fucking <laughs> adrenaline rush, man. This is like straight out of like, this is, you're talking like commando level action and fun. Oh, like, I haven't had this kind it. of fun watching an action movie in a long time. You know, this it has tidbits of like Fast and Furious type stuff, but done better, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, almost wow. like an Expendables vibe at times. Like I can't, I couldn't recommend this movie more. Like if you have the ability to go to the movie theaters to actually go watch this, I would highly recommend it because it's worth seeing on the big screen for some of the fucking explosions. What was that? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just. I was just saying that if you know if you have the ability if you're somewhere where you know you can actually catch this in the movies, <laughs> go see it in the theater because it's war, just W A R. War. Um, okay. Yeah, and again, it's just it's it's fun, balls to the wall action. Like I saw Hobbs and Shaw recently. This movie blew mm. that away. You know. And oh shit. Like, look, I like The Rock. I like Jason Statham. I wanted to like Hobbs and Shaw. No, this is what Hobbs and Shaw should have been. Okay. All right. I like that. Um, but as a close out, one more question uh, regarding Joker. Joaquin Phoenix, Oscar nomination. Do you see it? Yes. Yeah, he'll get the nom. Uh, 
I'm sure by the time all is said and done, I will have seen just about everything that somebody that could be nominated will get nominated for. Um, <laughs> so you know what? For the fucking life of me, I cannot get to the theater to see the fucking Peanut Butter Falcon. I keep wanting to go see this damn thing. I want to see that too, you know, actually, like, yeah. Like yesterday, they had two show times. I missed the one, and the second one was at like 9:30 at night, you know. And then today, there was only the 9:30 showing. It was like, what the hell? Like, why can't I line this up? And then you know what? Though, yeah, I didn't even think to when I got off today. I didn't even think to look. They might add an earlier showing that they added. And then, whatever, man. I only have one more pick for this week, and like I said, I might do uh, Gemini Man on Thursday, but it all depends on how I feel tomorrow and how early I get off. Well, that's all because of the I filming, though. So I get that. You know, the, the, the way that they film that is why you want to see it. Yeah, I have no interest in the movie itself. Like, I've been seeing the trailer since early, <laughs> yeah. since early yeah, on. Yeah. I'm, not the big, I'm not a big Will Smith fan to, to start with. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that we have Will Smith against young Will Smith, which is just clearly <laughs> ugly air, CGI, you know, age regression technology Will Smith. Like, it to the point that good. even from the tra- – from the trailer, like some of the fight sequences, like when it's physical fighting between the two of them, it just looks absurdly like fake. Um, yeah, I had no intentions of really like. Yeah, I knew I would see it, just because again having the A list, I have three passes a week. There's just no way that I would. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to see just about everything I can, um, but the fact that they have the high frame rate kind of meant that you know what, rather than wait a week or two, I'll go see it now while they're gonna put it out there in the high frame rate because I haven't seen that since the Hobbit movies, and I just found that to be just such an impressive way to present a movie, you know, which is it's just oddly discomforting how fake reality yeah. looks when it's done that way. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, but yeah, that's Joker, everybody. Uh, we hope that you people listened and saw the movie and kind of have your own thoughts about uh, what Arthur was thinking during the movie and, and his uh, thought processes. I had a lot of fun seeing it, and I think that we should do more of these episodes. You know, we go to the movies a lot. I know I try to go as much as I can, and I know that the Doc and Monkey don't always get to go out as much as we do. So there's a movie coming up that you want me to go see. We could do a one-off. Listen, you know, you know me, man. I'm uh, whenever I have the opening and availability to do a show, I'm always down. And me too. you know, like I said, I, with the A list, I'm doing two to to three movies a week easily. <laughs> I mean, lately I've been hitting the number on three every time. My my freaking you know Apple Wallet is just movie stub, movie stub, movie stub, movie stub, movie stub. <laughs> it's just, just ridiculous at this point. Is there but, any movies uh, what coming are we out doing? like horror wise recently? Uh, there's a couple actually. There's Countdown, um, is one that I want to see that. Buzz right yeah. now. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Um, let's see. I mean, again, horror horror movies are weird because it's like I don't know. You would think during Halloween you'd get more of them in theaters, but there's really not that many, man. Um, no, you know, they're releasing the Adams Family. Yeah, Zombie Land yeah. 2, which is probably like the biggest out of them all getting released. Um, Countdown. And like, that's it. You know, you're not really seeing anything pre Halloween. Not the Halloween um, after that, Yeah. After that, you have Doctor Sleep coming and, you know, a couple other little things here and there. Uh, Black Christmas one in, in November. Black Christmas in, uh, in December. I was not November. January has a Hansel and Gretel movie coming out. 
Yeah, that's going to be cool because I know you told me about that. And Osgood Perkins, the son of Anthony Perkins, directed that. And what you told me about it, I was like, yeah, I want to see that. So I'll be in the theaters to see Hansel and Gretel uh, in January. Yeah. Because January movies are hard because those are the movies that you want to support <laughs> because, you know, nobody's going to yeah, see Yeah, well, they're getting, they're getting released because they have no legs. Oh, what a bummer, man. I was going to say, holy shit, dude. On October 13th, they're doing uh, the Alien 40th anniversary in the okay. theater. But it's excluded from A list. That's oh, a drag. Yeah, Same thing is. for Ghostbusters right. this week. Ghostbusters is going to be in theaters on Thursday. And that's uh, that. We actually saw that a couple of years ago in the theater. Like 2017, I want to say. I saw that in the theaters, and it was fucking so much fun. Like, there was guys dressed yeah. up like the Ghostbusters wearing the Proton packs. Nice. Like, you know, really <laughs> fucking disowning it. But uh, as far as tomorrow night, because we are back to our regular scheduled programming. Because Block Talk looks like it's back up and running. Uh, it's the monkey's pick of Hocus Pocus, the 1993 Disney's, Disney film. Disney's Hocus Pocus, starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy, and three kids, one of which is Thora Birch. And Vanessa Shaw from the Hills of Ice remake that we covered on the show. Yeah, I was looking right. at sitting... Sitting there looking at her, going, "Wow, that chick's kind of cute. She looks like a prettier version of uh, of Million Dollar Baby." Um, Hillary Swank. And then I realized, yes, yeah, she looks like a prettier version of Hillary Swank. And then I was like, "Oh, holy yeah. cow!" I go, "She really looks familiar." And then I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, no shit! We just saw her get raped." And not that rape is funny. I'm just saying that that's what happened in the Hills of Oz. It's not in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> There's no raping. I'm pretty not sure. In Hocus Pocus. I, yeah. Still haven't watched it. I got to watch it before tomorrow night's show. Got to bring myself to do it, but I will do it. I watched it. <laughs> you know? I watched it yesterday, so I'm uh, I'm done. Whew. Yeah, I, I'm not looking forward to it. But all right. So uh, as we close out, Ghoul, you know what? We hit you with a plug every week on the regular show. We're gonna do the same thing tonight. So what do you got for us? Hey, you know, as always, listen. Go check out uh, the Ghoul Girls Jewelry over at uh, Bonfire B Designs uh, on Etsy. All one word, Bonfire B Designs. I, uh, you know, just like the film The Joker, I'm going to uh, just go complete deadpan and serious about it. You know, go on and make somebody happy. Buy them a, p- a bit of jewelry, you know. Give them some warmth. Give them some love because there's not enough of it out in the world. Because, believe me, the alternative is a terrible, terrible thing. You're talking about divorce, alimony, people cheating on people. You know, people having sex with animals. It's fucked up mm-hmm. out there. So go to Bonfire Bee Design. Easy world. Buy your significant other or your fantastical significant other or yourself something. All one word on Etsy. Bonfire Bee Designs. And that famous catchphrase. <laughs> stay scared. Believe me, stay scared. You gotta stay scared out there, people. And as far as I go, I am your old pal, the King R. Andy G, saying good night, everybody. And as they say, that's life. You know, it's funny. That's life. I know it from License to Drive. Yes. Great way to use that's that. The that's the first time I had ever heard it, when the dude steals the car, and he's driving <laughs> away in, in the grandpa's Cadillac, and he's putting <laughs> the fucking lemons on the dashboard, and he's, Sing going, it, he's going on and on, he's like, he's going, people, 
problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love when he, I love when he first gets yeah. in it. He's like, oh, <laughs> this is much nicer than mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, License Drive, the one movie I had to convince the uh, monkey that Corey Selvin and Corey Hayne were in it. He doesn't believe me to this day that Corey Selvin was in License Drive. Okay. He was his <laughs> I was like, buddy. yes, he fucking was. He's like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't License like, Yes, he fucking was. That's the fucking Listen, Corey movie. We, <laughs> we've, got, we've got to find... We've got to find a theatrical showing of License to Drive somewhere and drag the monkey to it and be like, monkey, look there. Peace out, everybody. Good night. That's life. And just remember, keep that happy smile on your face.